Hello, everybody, and welcome. The song you heard was Pain from Soul Savages of Titan, the recent album by Barents Whitfield and the Savages. I had a chance to sit down and chat with Barents before his recent show in Washington, and I admit this was a very special occasion for me. I've loved Barents and the Savages since I first saw them back in the 1980s, and they remain one of the most powerful and exhilarating acts on the circuit today. Barents and I talked about how he and guitarist Peter Greenberg joined together to forge the Savage sound. We talked about what the future holds for Barents and many other topics, but what we really focused upon was the music of the Savages, garage band and old school rock and roll, soul, rhythm and blues. It's all there and all delivered with power and intensity from the band and from Barents himself. Peter is still with the Savages, along with Tom Cortuli on saxophone, Andy Jolie on drums, and new bassist Cal Kitchen. Catch them on tour if you can, and in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Barents Whitfield. So my guest is Barents Whitfield, and Barents, thank you for being with me. Great to be here today. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I thought the best place to start would be perhaps you could tell a little bit about what got you into this business. What got me into this business is the love of Music. I had always had music around in my house because my parents listened to it. Uh, my father listened to jazz, and uh, my mom definitely was a big Jackie Wilson, Aretha Franklin fan. As a matter of fact, Aretha, when she passed away last week, I was remembered of her wearing her Sunday best to go see Aretha Franklin. But it was in the early 80s when you hooked up with Peter Greenberg, right? It was, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we both worked at the same record store different times in a period of maybe two two years. Nuggets. Yeah, Nuggets in uh, Kenmore Square, famous place. And uh, I was singing in the store one day, just doing my, my usual thing, putting away records. And a friend of mine who worked at the store at the time, uh, who was also a friend of Peter's, said, listen, man, I heard you were singing in the store. You're fantastic, man. You know, a friend of mine is putting together um, a rock and roll band. You know, he wanted a, uh, a black singer who sounded like uh, Little Richard. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, man, you should check him out. You should have a talk with him. As a matter of fact, I'll give him a buzz and, you know, you guys could hook up and see what's going on so he called me we hooked up went over his house and he started playing all these wild uh rock and roll rockabilly r&b records 45 he's a big 45 collector and the first tune i think he played for me was uh mama get the hammer flies on, album, yeah right? flies on the baby's head by les cooper and then he started playing all this wild stuff that I hadn't heard. And I was like, going, this is fantastic. This is wild. I'm really, really, I'm into it. I'm gonna be 
So he was playing for you not only these old R&B records and Little Richard and all this soul music, but he's also playing you a lot of garage band music. Yeah, there was some garage stuff in there because he, uh, 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 you know, came from a garage background uh, playing for DMZ, which was a legendary band out of Boston, and also the Liars. And he also was in a band out of Cincinnati. Uh, a band called The Customs, which is very legendary there. So he's been in three legendary garage bands. He knew what he wanted to uh, put in uh, as far as the music is concerned. You know, we just started rehearsing uh, in the Back Bay area behind uh, Fenway Park. We just uh, started rehearsing for about six months. Even on the new record, it doesn't sound that different in terms of the style from the very first records. It's like hardcore, uh, kind of a garage band sound with all the great elements that you've just talked about laid mm-hmm. on top of it. Is that a fair description, or how would you describe it? I would it? say so. I mean, we've gotten older in our age, so we refined, we, we, we like, good wine. And, uh, you know, I mean, when we first started out, we were rambunctious young guys, just want to go out and have some fun and play great great music and excite people so uh, and we still do that to this day you know we're still got that young mentality in our minds that we want to just go out there and just destroy the world so when i first saw you it reflected what you just said it was an all-out assault Mm -hmm. and i had never seen anything like it it was something that needed to be done you know i think uh you know it had that energy that punk energy that kind of like garage energy but we were fusing a lot of r&b and, and stuff like that you're so, fusing the r&b and the soul yeah and uh in the garage music and the uh, jump blues all that stuff from all our record collections that we own and all the people that we were being turned on to and listening to at the time so uh, and then on top of all that was you and what you brought to the performance right. you put everything you had into those performances every time well I was just a young pup just trying to uh, to uh, conquer the world, I guess. Uh, it was one of those things that I was very, very interested in doing. And what was the reaction from the crowds back then? Uh, it was wild. I mean, the first two shows we did were fantastic. You know, we just uh, blew people away because people didn't know what to expect. I just wanted to bring uh, some appreciation of the music that was long, you know, uh, long not played or not, you know, being... Uh, listen to i mean you know there are people out there who um are great fans of the, of the rock and roll era of the 50s you know into the 60s you know and they're all record collectors at the time that's all we used to get to our shows they all listened to it to see what records we were gonna what old dusty moldy 45s we were gonna cover i think people came to see you well i'm sure they came to see me and uh, i was a, a rare breed of animal at the time because you know no one had seen a, a African-American singer do this kind of music. It, it, it was just at the time, Boston was a, a growing scene of music. And, you know, to have that and be part of that scene was fantastic because you're in a city that's just being bombed by a lot of great bands. I think what you and Peter have in common, and no doubt the rest of your Sterling band, too, mm-hmm. is just a real respect for that music that, you know, originated in rock and roll in the 50s and grew to where it is today. Well, we do like the Roots music, even as as we speak today. As a matter of fact, we were in Cincinnati uh, rehearsing and went to the local record shop, found three Lonnie Mack records who... Lonnie Mac is from Cincinnati, so I said I'm never going to see these these 45s up my way. I always I always see the one big hit he did, which was Memphis. But other than that, I found three other ones that are they're just for me 
my collection is great. We're still guys that love what we love to listen to and collect and, and be part of. So it's we're like kids when we go into a record store. It's like looking for the best chocolate candy or something like that. And how does that come out in the music that you guys make? Well, it does come out in the music because we're influenced by so many great artists that it it empowers us in our bodies to come out and make music, you know, and go in the studio and write stuff in that vein, just like uh, this last record that we put out, which uh, our biggest influence and um, uh, someone that we really got into kind of late in the game was Sun Ra. We all put our two cents in everything, but we but we had one thing in common, and that was uh, just go out there and have a good time and, and, and play music. Just get the audience into what we're doing. And even in the early days, it was just a fabulous time you to always, be a musician. Uh, you always get the audience involved. We have audience. no choice. Why do you well, because that? if we don't go out there and do what we do, they'll think we're slagging. I don't want to be a slagger. I don't want to be somebody that uh, isn't being honest with what I do. You know, you want to be, you want to have a little bit of honesty in the music you do. So. What is it about this band that makes it so special for you? Well, I think uh, we, we, we recreate kind of a sound, uh, the dominant instruments of the times have been not just guitar, but saxophone. There was a time when saxophone ruled the earth, you know, between jazz and jump blues and rock and roll. And so what we do, uh, uh, as far as the music is concerned, we always incorporate the sax and the guitar is always hard edge. And Pete, you know, has always been a great guitar player with the edge he plays. So, you know, and then we have Tom Quartuli, who's has really adapted with us and played great, great raw sax for us. And we have a new bass player that, that we're going to showcase tonight. And um, and we got Andy Jody, our drummer. Well, Peter was a fan of his. He loved his playing and stuff and his tenacity. I always played with somebody that was had a sax. Our sax was uh, the integral part of any band. Because, I mean, because of, it was the almost the dominating uh, instrument from the 30s, from the, from the time of Coleman Hawkins, you know, to Big J McNeely, to Arnett Cobb. Then you go back to jazz with John Coltrane, Hank Mobley, John Gilmore from Sun Ra. You know, sax has always been the most interesting and utterly, utterly fantastic sounds you want to hear. And if you had to name maybe two or three of those classic soul, R&B, early rock and roll singers who were the biggest influence on you. Who would you point to? Uh, probably point to Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, James Brown. The really hard, gritty soul guys that get out there and just sweat and well, sing. It's with Soundberg. Yeah, uh, and Screaming Jay Hawkins. And Screaming Jay Hawkins, yeah. And, so, and a lot of the material on the new record, I can really hear that. Uh, there's a couple of the ballads where there's just full-throated, beautiful music. It's based on uh, the aura of listening, feeling free, feeling mystical, feeling like space is place, like Sun Ra used to say. And just uh, listening to certain songs on the album, like Slowly Losing My Mind and Pain and Let's Go to Mars, you know, songs that have a little bit of spirituality to it and also have uh, fun. You know, a lot, a lot of exciting uh, uh, music that has has that still has that rock and roll beat, still has that intensity in the music, and you know, it's well, something that you can actually put on and say we're still doing it.
someone comes to a show, what can they expect to see? You won't, you won't see the uh, craziness that I used to give you back in the days when I was 20. And, you know, I had, I had good knees and diving around like a crazy animal. That's probably why my knees have kind of given up. But I still could sing and I still can bring a crowd to a frenzy just by, you know, entertaining. Absolutely. The last shows I've seen just out of this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does the future hold for Baron Switchfield? I'll still be singing. Uh, I'll still be doing other stuff. And, you know, hopefully the Savages will give me a venue to continue to do what I do best. And uh, I, I know one day that maybe this voice is gone. Maybe the enthusiasm for playing is gone. But for now, this is what I have. This is who I am. And this is what you'll get. And you'll get quality music and quality entertainment and and me just having a good time. I have this dream, though. I'm hoping that it will happen next year. I did a couple, as you know, I did a couple of records with Tom Russell, and I have this idea. I, I pitched it to him not long ago, doing a tribute record to a guy named Stony Edwards, a black country singer uh, from Oklahoma who was part Cherokee and part African American, who has got the voice of Merle Haggard. So imagine a black man singing like Merle Haggard. And I think it's great because he's one of those kind of forgotten heroes of country music, you know, who has a cult following, who was by all means, all the musicians that have ever heard him are guys who uh, really appreciate him. So I want to I want to bring his memory back. I want to try to do as best I can to do a, a, a tribute record. So that may be happening I hope maybe in the next year. So I think we've got to wrap it up. Any final words you want to leave people with? Go out and vote this year. That's all I can say. And, and, and make sure that when you vote, you have all the musicians and all the people in the arts in mind because we can't lose this. We can't lose the arts in this country because this is what we're known for. We're known for good music and good art. And uh, I just hope that we can continue to go out there and make people happy through our art. Baron, thank you so much for spending a little time with me. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great. Well, Barons, I agree. That was great. And I can't thank you enough. Really enjoyed the conversation. And I hope everyone listening also enjoyed the conversation. And I hope some folks will listen to this and go out and find some of Barron's music. It's available in all the usual places. It's all great. And I hope you're enjoying all of our conversations on this podcast. We try to reach out to all kinds of interesting people. A few folks have contacted me, and that's really encouraged. We have lots of good stories to tell. And if you enjoy it, go ahead and subscribe leave a little review. Let your friends know. That would be great. But in the meantime, I thought I would leave you with a classic Savages tune. I happen to know that it's one that Barents is very fond of. This is Live Bloody Mary. Thank you, Barents. See you all soon.
time.